Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man. And you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Scoop.com's podcast, season seven, episode 34. I'm John DiCarlo, joined in person for the first time since, I don't know, before the pandemic, right? My guess is it's got to be late February, early March of 2020. Yeah. Probably first week of March 2020 is my guess. What do we say? It was the, the friend Duffy episode? Yes. And actually, to do a quick segue into next week, uh, Fran Duffy from the Philadelphia Eagles who does a couple of great podcasts for them, Journey to the Draft, um, is one of them. If, if you're an uh, NFL fan, Eagles fan, an NFL Draft fan, it's a terrific podcast. He's actually going to be with us next week. But, yeah, the last time we recorded in person, Fran was here with us. Who was on that pod? It was you, me. Was Kyle or Sam here? I can't quite I don't remember. remember. I don't know. But today, the voice you're hearing is Sam Cohn, Dante Colinelli, Caden Steele with us in person. Kate Sam thinks late. this is... I mean, in fairness, <laughs> in fairness, we decided why don't we just record in person, and then Caden, you know, no, showed some good top end Caden. speed getting getting over here. So he wasn't technically it gave us some time to put out the call, yeah, the mailbag, yeah. You know, so it worked. Out. Nobody nobody bit in the seven minutes, <laughs> seven minutes we gave people to submit uh, mailbag questions on Twitter, but we do have some from the message boards. So uh, what's going on, guys? It's good to good to see y'all. This is cool. This is cool. It's nice to like be able to do this with everyone sitting here. It feels like a little bit more normal, you know? Like two years of Zoom podcasting has been it's been very odd. The chemistry is going to be all messed up. Oh, we've gotten. I was saying before the show. We've I don't so need used your. To, I don't need your negativity. We've got no. We've gotten so used to me, Caden, and Dante doing the pod together. Now uh, we introduce uh, you. Uh, we walked right into that. <laughs> Considering you've rehearsed it five minutes ago, <laughs> I still forgot the pod before the pod. Yes. Yeah, I mean, did you guys, did you guys feel better with Kyle and I not being around last week? We felt like kids whose parents went on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> we had the house to ourselves. Yeah. We threw a little bit of a party. We made really? sure everything was cleaned up before yeah. you guys got back. Yeah, we had no idea. <laughs> My mom always tells a story that when she was like in high school. Her, my grandmother, her mom was always like super crazy about everything being like spotless in the house. And when her parents went on vacation, my grandparents went on vacation, uh, my, she made sure the place was again spotless when they came back. And my grandmother walked up to one little frame and was like, this was moved half a centimeter. Did you have people over? That's incredible. Not wild. That's crazy. Caden, you want to tell us about the sweatshirt that you have on, which I love? Yeah, the right on sweatshirt. I got it for Christmas, but. Yeah, I like the you know the fit. It makes me feel comfortable, and you know, if I'm gonna wear this fit, it just says right on in, in lowercase with a period. Just a, a tremendous, right tremendous on. sweatshirt. Right on. Probably right. saying right on in the eighties. I don't. I can't remember that far back. I don't. I don't think we were really. I don't think we were really saying stuff like that. We were watching movies like Back to the Future, which we were watching a clip of before we started. One of your personal favorites. Yes, my new. Back to the Future. Story. Joining us next week on the pod, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd. No, I, I wish. I don't think that's going to happen. Probably not. We're not. But sure. Fran Duffy's still going to be a great guest. I would argue equally as good, if not second best. Better NFL draft analyst, you know. I would imagine. 
I, we don't know how plugged in my, uh, Michael J. Fox is. He yeah, might be well, really plugged in. Nonetheless, we're very know. excited about Fran yeah. Dunphy. Yeah. Not to be confused with Fran Dunphy, new head coach at LaSalle. Right, right. I don't think Dunphy's going to be joining us next week. But again, you never know. We could just be lining up guests left and right. <laughs> Three and a half hour pod. The scoop in the summer gets, that's our that's our prime time to get crazy guests. Yes. We get some good guests in the summer. Yes. Uh, this week, a uh, little bit of a, a, a lighter agenda for this week. We'll be talking a little bit more. Uh, obviously, spring football is over. You guys did a great job of recapping the cherry and white game. Uh, they've officially announced the arrivals of Ian Stewart, James Firmino, and Jacob Porter. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, a little bit more portal stuff. Um, basketball mailbag questions uh, to get to as well. Temple, as things are starting to heat up a little bit for the Owls now at the transfer portal. We'll get to that in a second. But um, before we get to all that, famous number 34. I mean, there's a very easy one, but I don't want to... David Ortiz. All right. Oh, Makes sense. That's a good one. Caden's going to have a couple Eagles outtakes for us. I know what you're going to say. Say it. There's an Eagles 34. I can't think of one. I wonder right now, Kerry Vincent Jr., defensive back out of LSU. He's number 34 in the Eagles. We wow. traded draft pick. Wasn't yeah. Reno Mahi 34? I think he was 34 That's as well. what I thought you were going to say. Dante? I don't know. I'm blanking. What about Ricky Williams? Your guy. Oh my god, yeah. I forgot about Ricky Williams. Charles I like, 34, right? Yeah, Charles Barkley. Yes. Thurman Thomas. Thurman Thomas. Yeah. Man. I mean, I was thinking Barkley. Barkley's That's a, an easy one. Bo Jackson. You have a role camera. Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson wore number 34. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was just, he was, he was crazy. He was ridiculous. Well, we had talked about last week that we got 32s and 34s mixed up. Yes. That mm-hmm. was like, we our, were talking about that. That was our, uh, our hitch and guessing 32s is. We but last week was episode 33. Why were you guys getting 32s and 34s mixed up? I don't know. Maybe that was two weeks. I don't know. <laughs> did I we can't. not? Did we, did we record the right maybe episode you, number? Maybe you guys did record during the, the party that you guys <laughs> and you were impaired. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Hopefully you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Good thing the parents weren't home. <laughs> or is this supposed to be episode 33? No. I thought last week was episode 33. If if so, then we're off to a terrific start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, last week was season 7, episode 33. Oh. I'm right. Yeah, because we said Larry Bird, so we definitely did have 33 last week. I don't know, maybe 30. It's just why you guys need parental guidance. Yeah, this is... This is <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Moving on. Uh, yeah, it's moving right along. So as I said a few, a few minutes ago... Uh, so we, we've, we've done some coverage on these guys. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, if you've subscribed to Al Scoop, you know a little bit about Ian Stewart, James Feminu, and Jacob Porter. So these guys are, I guess we'll say, late additions to the 2022 class. Firmino had actually verbally committed um, during you know that, that February signing day period. Uh, haven't we actually haven't, we have not talked to him, right? Uh, no. Uh, so... He needed to, as we understood, he needed to wait until, uh, you know, the end of, I guess, I don't know, the end of the year to sign his, like, aid agreement or whatever it is. I don't think he's actually signing an official national letter of intent. Jacob Porter from North Allegheny High School, just outside of Pittsburgh, um, verbally committed. He had been committed to Yale, and then I guess, like, decommitted from Yale. So Temple's adding some, uh, you know, uh, adding a player there as kind of an outside linebacker, you know, defensive end type, uh, the son of uh, Joey Porter, who played uh, in the NFL for, what, 14 years, something like that, He's with the a Steelers and yeah. the Dolphins. His son, uh, Jacob's brother, very good player at Penn State. And then Ian Stewart, again, if you subscribe to Al Scoop, you've read 
uh, Dante's story about him, the Michigan straight transfer wide receiver. Just a, a quick bit on, on these guys. Now, Firmino, I guess, is maybe a developmental type on the offensive line. Again, that, that I mean, there's not a single position, as we've been saying, that isn't really being rebuilt with this team. Um, Dante with Stewart, I think we've talked about it, you know, just recently. He kind of gives him a bigger target, right? I don't know. I have no concept yet of how often he's going to play, how much he's going to play, but, you know, I, I, they obviously feel like he can help. What do you think he brings them? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be the guy that they're, I mean, I, they're going to hope that he's some version of Brandon Mack. I mean, because mm-hmm. that is a, a player that they have really been missing the past couple of years, that tall, big, physical, deep threat where, you know what, it's double coverage, but I'm going to chuck it up there anyway because I have confidence in my guy to go up and make a play. Uh, they've really been missing that. You know, last season, obviously, everything was a disaster, but that didn't help with spacing. And even the year before that, even during the COVID year, you know, they they missed that. So I, I think for Mac, it's really just um, that role is important in college football, and they're hoping that Ian Stewart is that type of player where he's just going to go up and high point the ball and make a play. Um, there are some other guys on the roster he's going to have to compete with, I assume, like guys like Quazy Evans, um, Stevenson still around, like those bigger guys. So I'm assuming that that will be kind of his uh competition uh when we saw them play at the spring game they had a bunch of smaller quick guys out there as starters mm-hmm. it was fox uh Ahmad anderson and jose barbone uh so they don't really have a player like this um so i i'm assuming that ian stewart can you know carve out a nice little role for himself if he comes in and impresses in the fall mm-hmm. another bit of news to pass along chauncey moore has entered the transfer portal. Now, he did have a he had an interception in the in the, in the he did. White game. Yeah, so that's... is this? I mean, but um, Kate, I'll throw this over to you first. Is this surprising at all or no? I don't think it's you know necessarily surprising, especially with the safety depth. You know, have an older guy. It sounds from uh, you know that just you know Stan you know, told him to, you know to move on, and then they had a mutual agreement. So he gets an opportunity to play at maybe the FCS school, mm-hmm. become you know a starter. He's got two years of eligibility left. I think I saw on his Twitter. So. You know, he wants to you know prove himself, get an opportunity to go to the league. So you know, him and Temple weren't exactly a fit anymore, and so it seems like a mutual agreement. Yeah, and I think we'd be, you know, shocked if we didn't see. Again, we've talked about this in, the, in previous weeks. You know, we're speculating at this point, but I would be mildly surprised if we don't see a few more names at this point. I think it'd be kind of irresponsible to to, to speculate on the podcast here, but. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if by, by the time we're talking to you guys again next week, if there weren't maybe, uh, you know, a, a couple more names uh, to hit the portal here. Because as Caden said, you know, you know, guys meet with the coaches after the spring and probably assess where they are and say, okay, you know, well, again, not that we're all in, the, in on these conversations, but I would imagine they go something like, hey, you know, if you want to play X number of snaps a game, great. That's either going to be possible here or it's not going to be possible here. And, um, so, you know, I think Chauncey Moore's name could be one of perhaps a, uh, a few that we'll see here. Um, and again, we'll, we'll see what they get out of a guy like Jacob Porter, whether he's a guy that their red shirts, again, they had recruited him uh, initially, again, uh, commits to Yale, decommits from Yale, comes to Temple. So we'll see what he gives them. And again, obviously a guy like James Firmino, um, one of the guys that, that came over to the States uh, with Brandon Collier and his group. Uh, and so Temple's familiar with you know with that program again we'll see where he where he fits in again they they we've talked about the fact that they were moving guys around in the spring game there were issues with snaps uh isaac moore did not play we'll see in retrospect how much that contributed to some of the, the poor play we saw in the offensive line but again that's a 
kind of a, a bit of a rebuild there. But so those three names have become uh, official in terms of being added to the roster and added to that 22 class. Uh, another thing we wanted to talk about, it's kind of an interesting thing, and we'll, we'll see if that's actually comes to fruition at all, but um, this is what we're left to do sometimes in terms of like continuing to cover uh, the transfer portal. Now, Stan Drayton did say on multiple occasions, including right after the Cherry and White game, you know, he was kind of more or less kind of, you know, lukewarm on the quarterback play. And he said flat out, we can potentially add some depth there. So we'll play the what if game for a second here because uh, Danny Langsdorf, Temple's offensive coordinator, just followed uh, Florida's Emory Jones on Twitter. Now, of course, he, he was Florida starter this year. He has two years of eligibility left, was a former four-star recruit. Um, again, I don't know how far along this is, if Temple has a shot at him. But, again, we'll play the what-if game here because I know this is what listeners would, would want us to do. Um, let's say... Let's say this starts to progress. They bring him in for a visit. What, what do you guys? What do you guys make of this? I mean, I guess on one hand we shouldn't be surprised that they're looking into the portal for additional quarterbacks because Stan Drayton pretty much said that they would. But um, Dante, I'll throw this over to you first. What you've, you've watched a lot of college football for the the stuff that you do for blue chip scouting. How much Emory Jones have you seen? I know we were talking about this the other day. You thought he'd probably be a solid addition. I mean, he had 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, decent completion percentage. You know. Um, wasn't the best quarterback in the SEC, but he's not a bad quarterback either. What, what, what would you make of this? Yeah, I, I think this would be a really good get for them. Uh, I think a lot of fans will kind of look at this maybe at, at face value and go, oh, you know, we just got a transfer quarterback from the SEC. We don't want to go down that road again. There's a very big difference between Dwan Mathis playing in, what was it, four games at Georgia and Emory Jones being a you know roughly a, you know a starting quarterback last year, and he had some success. Um, so I think that that would be a really good get for them. He's a former four-star, like you said. He's got all the arm talent in the world. Um, he's very, very mobile. I think this would be very, very different than getting a player like Dwan Mathis. Emory Jones a little bit more of a proven commodity. Um, you know, he lost his job to a guy in Anthony Richardson who's, like, built like a linebacker that runs like a running back. Like, I, I really, like... I'm not a huge Emory Jones guy for the NFL draft, but if we're talking college quarterback play, a drop in competition from the SEC to the AAC I think will be hugely beneficial for him. If you're going off of natural tools, he's probably one of the better quarterbacks in the entire conference with Desmond Ritter out, and UCF is kind of juggling a couple of names there, so I don't really know what they're doing. So if Temple gets Emory Jones, I mean, I think that's a really good get. He's probably one of the best quarterbacks in the portal right now. Is he going to come in and change the entire program and be this world beater at quarterback? No, probably not, but I think he's probably more consistent than somebody like Dewan Mathis. Um, I think he's more ready to play than somebody like EJ Warner, who maybe, maybe not is the future at that position. So he serves as kind of a, a, a upgrade right now and a bridge to whoever that future ends up being. So I, I think it'd be a really good get for them. You're, you're going to watch Florida film. You're going to go, ah, you know, he's, a, he's only average, but I think projecting him down a level really helps. I, I think that he'll be much better dealing with, the defenses that you get here. I mean, when you play Alabama, that's, you know, 11 NFL players on the other side mm -hmm. of the ball. Like, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. So coming here, I think, would be big for him. And I think it would be a really good get for this staff, even just on, like, hey, like, this staff went into the portal and got a four-star recruit from Florida to come to Temple, who's, like, not a nobody. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think just perceptive-wise, I mean, I think that that's really good for them both ways. Caden, Sam, I was going to throw this out to you guys. Dante just alluded to this. You guys have both written about E.J. Warner. Obviously, he's a, he's going to be a true freshman 
coming here. He did come in for the spring game. Do you think, and again, this is just very much, you know, hypothetical what if. Do you think this staff, without having talked to him, do you, you, you think they see Emory Jones as like a bridge guy to someone like E.J. Warner or whoever that, you know, if they bring in another quarterback, do you, do you see him as like maybe just a transitional guy to get him in and, and give a guy like E.J. Warner or anybody else they bring in a year to redshirt? I don't think it's crazy to say that. Uh, I think they like EJ Warner for the future. Obviously, you know, we, I think we've talked about before that Justin Lynch was Justin Lynch playing this past season a true freshman was not a super normal thing. EJ Warner will probably come in, he might redshirt, he probably won't play his first two seasons, whatever. He'll get a chance to learn a ton over the next couple of years, and then maybe he's the quarterback after. But if they can get a guy like Emory Jones to come in and whether he's pushing Dewan, whether he's competing with Dewan or whether you know he's surpassed the one, if they're able to get him, um, that could be a great get for them in, in terms of like the short term. And then, John, as you said, like that he could become a bridge. But right now, we know nothing about how E.J. Warner is going to be at the college level. You know, he's not going to be the same quarterback now as he's in two years. He's not going to be, uh, you know, we, we, we've only seen him play high school. Like, we don't even, if that, we haven't even really seen him play high school. So we only know so much about him. But no, I mean, to your point, John, I don't, I don't think that's a crazy thing to say that, that he could be that bridge guy if they see E.J. as, you know, a potential future quarterback for them. Yeah, I think it's definitely a possible you know, situation where he is the bridge guy. But you look at the roster right now, I feel like the coaching staff, you know, although E.J. Warner might be that guy, they're not exactly thinking about, you know, two to three, two to three years down the line because right now, like, you know, Stan Drayton talked about in this press conference, you know, they said, you know, DeJuan could help the quarterback room, something of that nature. He talked about it wasn't exactly, you know, words of confidence regarding DeJuan Matthews. He did he looked kind of up and down in the spring game. Mm-hmm. And right now, they need to make an upgrade. And, you know, Emmy Jones, like Dante said, he didn't. Dom- he didn't dominate the SEC. He wasn't in first team, second team, all SEC. He lost his job to Anthony Richardson. But he'll still probably be a likely upgrade over DeJuan Mathis and it would give him something, you know, you know, gives them a chance to compete next year. And that leaves a lot of questions about where would DeJuan Mathis go, you know, if we're That's speculating. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we talked about that just in our group chat. Like, you know, Kyle had said, you know, I don't, I don't know that, you know, if they bring someone in like him, I don't know, we can't speak on behalf of Dewan Mathis, but if they bring someone like him in, Dewan either says, okay, I'm going to beat you out, I'm going to stay and beat you out for the job, or maybe he's like, well, I'm going to leave immediately and go down to the FCS level. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he wants to do that because this would be his second time transferring, so he can't. He can't just hit the portal and be eligible right away unless he gets a waiver, mm-hmm. appeals for a waiver, and like can play right away and say, well, "I want to go closer to home." But again, we're kind of, you know, kicking the can down the down the road there. But something interesting to 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 follow. And again, I don't think we would be surprised if they add depth at really any position. I mean, yeah, should. Any position. I mean, really, any position with quarterback too specifically, like. You gotta just throw darts at the board until mm-hmm. you hit. Like it's too important of a position to just mm-hmm. not follow Emory Jones on Twitter. You know, mm-hmm. like as like vague as that is, and we have no idea if they had an actual conversation or what that was like. But you know, you can't. You're not going anywhere without a quarterback. So you, mm-hmm. you got to explore all your options there. Um, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the transfer portal. If you can't get a guy like Emory Jones, last time I checked, he does not have like any like gigantic offers. Mm-hmm. Like a Temple offer would be up there with like his best offers. There are mm-hmm. not a lot of Power Five offers on there, so mm-hmm. it would not. I, again, I don't know how serious they are, but you know, for the sake of this question, let's assume they're serious. Would not surprise me if Temple ends up being his best offer. Mm-hmm. And kind of going off of Dante, though, when quarterbacks, especially, you know, in college, you know, first year program, it's not like the NFL where they're tied to a contract. Mm-hmm. Like you're always looking to upgrade. If you can find someone a little bit better, it could take you to that next level. Yeah. 
And I don't know if Temple, I mean, we're not inside their beliefs. You know, DeWan Mathis is that guy to be the part of their you know, first year rebuild leading that quarterback. And you know, Emory Jones, if he is an upgrade, why not take a shot? Yeah, yeah. So let's head over to the basketball mailbag, and this will answer the questions uh, that you guys have. And it's really the, the, the next big thing here that, that's going on now. Again, the season's been over for a while. We've been talking about the fact that they are looking to add players in the transfer portal. And uh, the three questions, two of the three mailbag questions we have here um, are about transfer portal additions. Uh, so the first one comes from Esther Boyer. That's the screen name. Uh, Esther Boyer is one of our, not the literal Esther Boyer, but uh, the screen name, one of our House Scoop subscribers. Not the late Esther Boyer, who the, the Temple <laughs> Music School is named oh, after. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually did not make that connection. I'll be completely you, honest. You need to know your yeah. as long as Temple I history. have been you know both why? at the school and involved with Alice Scoop, I never made the connection that the screen name Esther Boyer was the Boyer of I'm, Boyer School. I love you, but I'm embarrassed for you. The only reason I'm not I knew that, I mean, <laughs> the only reason I knew that is because they sent me an email this morning telling me to fill out my SFF. For You're a taking Boyer, a music class for a Boyer class. See, that's the thing. I'm not taking a music class, mm. and they. I don't know what I've, I don't even know clerical error. I don't even know where Boyer is. Could not tell you. I know it I'm exists. I'm like Sam, but I don't know where it is. Is like it if next you, to Annenberg or kind of like? You no, will, could not uh, tell you. Well, no. Uh, there's. No I'm, you're right. You're right. Yes, Keaton, You're right. There's. There's also the um, the theater that they use for for performances. Not not TPAC, but there's another one over uh, closer to Broad and Cecil B. So. Oh, anyway, that. well, there's your your temple geography there lesson we of the week. <laughs> there we go. Brought to you by the scoop. In depth, behind the scenes, <laughs> the, the, the meaning, <laughs> yes, the meaning behind the screen name here of Esther Boyer. Anyway, question: Can you give us a scouting report on Cora Jankuch, John John Kutch's game? I'm pronouncing the last name there correctly, right? I have no idea how to pronounce the last name, but I, we do know that his first name is pronounced Cor. Yes, K, spelled K U R. Um, the six foot nine, two hundred twenty pound four from uh, Northern Colorado. Uh, he doesn't seem like a switchable big that is needed in the Owls' preferred defensive scheme. Um, again, be lying if I said I watched, you know, all of their games this year. Uh, the, the scouting report that that I got from somebody who I, I, whose opinion I trust, who has seen him play. The the scouting report is long, super bouncy, and a high motor, decent skill level, good rebounder. So. You know, he's originally from Kenya. He played his high school ball in London, uh, averaged a shade under nine points and 8.6 rebounds per game this season. Uh, became a full-time starter by the time he was a sophomore at Northern Colorado. Um, had a pretty solid season, played some decent basketball near the end of the season, the Big Sky Championship. This was a team that almost, when I mean, they got to the conference championship game, almost went to the NCAA tournament. Uh, in the Big Sky Championship game last month, he had 12 points and eight rebounds. Shot five or six from the floor, then he averaged 12 points and a little more than 11, ra- uh, 11 rebounds in three CBI games. So, um, yeah, he's on campus now. We're recording this late Wednesday afternoon. I, th- I believe he got in yesterday. So they like him enough to, to bring him in for a visit. So he would qualify as, you know, a couple people I trust that said they might try to bring in two bigs. Maybe one guy that's more, like, older, more experienced than maybe a younger guy that's more of a developmental guy. You know, Core would be that older guy. Um, Sam, I'll, I'll kick this over to you. I mean, what do you think that you know? What do you think he could bring to them? Obviously, we know we we know that they need size. What, sure. do, what do you think of this? So, I mean, same as you, haven't seen a ton of him playing. Obviously, haven't obviously haven't seen him play live. Don't know a whole lot about uh, about his game. You know, got a similar scouting report that you did. Um, my immediate inclination, and I don't, again, I don't want to make 
assumptions because assumptions make an ass out of you and me. But my, <laughs> um, but my immediate inclination, uh, looking at him, reading about him, seeing the very little that I could find on him, my assumption and my inclination is, and it kind of goes back to what Dante was saying about quarterbacks, is you start to throw a dart until you hit one. Uh, this feels like a similar get to what they what they tried to do with Sage Tolbert and didn't hit on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a very similar body, very similar build. Uh, I can't the, from the description. It sounds like he he brings something very similar to the table that they wanted to get out of Sage, and Sage didn't pan out, and now he's in the portal, which is fine. These things happen, you know. He mm-hmm. probably will. He'll find a better opportunity uh, or thrive in a different um, environment, different school, which is fine. But I, that's the kind of player they want. They want someone who can a forward who has some experience, who has some experience winning, uh, can get rebounds for them, can score inside. Like they don't need they have they don't need someone to come in and put up a forward to come in and put up 12, 15, 17 points, whatever. Uh, they need someone Couldn't to hurt. Keep, hmm? Couldn't hurt. Couldn't hurt. But they need, I mean, when you have a guy, when you're putting a guy next to Nick Jordan uh, who can stretch the floor a little bit, you need someone who can bang down low. You need someone who can get rebounds. You need someone who can work in the flow of the offense. We saw how, I don't want to say detrimental, but close to it, Jay Forrester could be in that offense because they couldn't get the same flow, because he couldn't move and spread the floor. Um, and you know, kind of go through the flow of the offense the way they needed him to. Uh, he was very—I don't want to say one-dimensional, but he was very kind of entrapped in within eight feet of the hoop. So they need someone to be able to flow through. They need someone to be able to move well. They need someone to be able to pass out of the out of the interior. So again, this is—I don't want to—it's it, something of an assumption. It's something of a guess. It's something of a strong, educated guess. But my inclination is this feels like getting another Sage Tolbert that maybe they'll hit on and maybe will work better and maybe will be a, have a quicker impact. Mm-hmm. Um, next question here from the screen name, screen name HerdAl51, uh, also basketball-related. Were you able to confirm the potential transfers who will be visiting? I believe Kyle mentioned this on the board. Yes, Kyle did mention this uh, on our message board. Uh, again, so we talked about uh, Cora Jankic is in today, and then two guards will be in next week, and I wasn't able to confirm those names replied to uh, someone else on our message boards earlier today have been able to confirm those names so next week they will bring in for visits max edwards from kansas state and colby rogers from sienna so uh, a couple more intriguing targets here so again they lost jeremiah williams in the transfer portal that one was a little bit more of the surprise as we've talked about I'm not breaking any news there ty strickland i think we could have anticipated that but they do lose some offense. Uh, certainly, they lose some offense in Jeremiah Williams. They lose, you know, arguably one of their best perimeter defenders, if not their best perimeter defender. Uh, we've talked about that. But so in Colby Rogers and and uh, Max Edwards, you've got two ends of the spectrum here. You know, two different body types. I guess you would say uh, Colby Rogers is about six four, one eighty four. Um, played at Roselle Catholic, uh, where Nate Pierre-Louis played, and the Max Edwards, I believe, was hurt this year and redshirted at Kansas State. Let's talk a little bit about Colby Rogers first. I mean, he can he can shoot it. Average 14.1 points per game, uh, shot about, you know, about a little shade over 42% uh, from the floor. Um, would be a nice addition for them. Uh, again, we've been hearing bigs, bigs, bigs. They need size. Um, the guy can shoot the ball. What do you guys, what do you guys make of these two? I guess we'll start with... Um, We'll start with Colby Rogers again. Don't know who they're up against just yet. Uh, didn't get a chance to just kind of confirm this right before we started recording, but a North Jersey guy. Um, but again, I, I, I see just off the top of my head 
a guy that, you know, I mean, they're going to have to, they, they have guys that can handle the ball, obviously. You know, Hysier Miller probably starts. Ja can handle the ball. Jaleel White can handle the ball, can certainly defend, has great size there, can do a little bit of everything. Uh, the Big Five Rookie of the Year. Uh, Colby Rogers gives you a guy that, again, can just kind of shoot the ball coming off the bench. Um, what, do you, what do you make of this? We'll start with Colby Rogers first. That's exactly what you need. Uh, that was essentially Zach Hicks's role this past season. I think when you lose Jeremiah Williams, uh, Heiser Miller steps into that first, that likely your day one starting point guard. You have Damian Dunn and Caleb Battle, obviously, your two go-to scorers. You need someone who, if one of those guys needs a blow, if one of those guys is not you know, shooting the, the like Caleb had his four-point clunker against Clemson. In a game like that, you need someone to come off the bench and be a spark plug. That was Ty Strickland for the first couple games of the season, a little bit in the middle, um, and then kind of t- took on a bigger role as they dealt with injuries in the backcourt. Colby Rogers can be that guy. He can be, if he if he can shoot the way you know he did, uh, you know he has in college and comes to Temple and does the same thing. He could be a spark plug shooter off the bench. That's a huge piece. We've talked about before how important that type of player is. Uh, that. Ty Strickland-esque player with consistency can be for a team like Temple. Um, that takes them from a good backcourt to a very good backcourt to a great mm-hmm. backcourt. Is when you have, you know, when you have Heiser Miller and Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn, you have Zach Hicks who can shoot, and then you can bring off uh, bring off the bench a guy like if if they're able to get a guy like Colby Rogers who can shoot the ball, who can be a playmaker. That's a spark plug they could really use. Yeah, I think Colby Rogers would be a really good get, you know, for Temple, kind of going off Sam replacing that you know, spark off the bench and need someone to score. Average 14.1 points per game last year. Not only had Sessa Sienna, but he transferred from Cali, Cal Poly mm-hmm. the year before, average 12, you know, 12 points about. So, you know, he's had success at two different programs. Looks he's ready to make that, you know, that leap potentially to, mm-hmm. a, you know, to a bigger conference, be a nice, you know, bench player and give him, you know, another guard that could score, is which is what they probably need right now. So. Yeah, and he had some, I mean, if you look just, I mean, just looking at what he did again, so they play in the MAC, the, not the Mid-American Conference, the, the Metro Atlantic uh, Athletic Conference, and, um, you know, had a, a season high of, of 27 against Quinnipiac at one point, 20 against Ryder, um, scored in double figures in the last five games of the season, he had 26 against Monmouth, 10 against, 10 against Niagara, um, 14 against Quinnipiac in, the, in their uh, conference uh, tournament quarterfinal. Um, and then a guy, uh, and again, we, we mentioned Max Edwards, uh, an intriguing guy there. I mean, he's, he's a, a bigger guard, um, 6'5", 220, um, from, from Connecticut. Um, Temple, I had been told uh, about an hour ago, recruited him a little bit out of high school. He played with the New York Lightning AAU team that's coached by Dana Dingle. That's, that's Dan Dingle's older brother. Dana played, at, uh, played for a very good UMass team for for Sam's very own John Calipari. I say very own because you're from Massachusetts, but yeah, um, basically. My but, own uh, John Calipari. Yeah, I mean you're gonna you're gonna look him up on you know if you if you haven't heard of him before you're gonna go to Kansas State's website and you're gonna say uh, you know uh, don't see any stats there, don't know much about him, but um, you know a, a bigger guard there. So I mean like uh, the the interesting thing obviously now will be um, and we're hoping to get Damian Dunn on our podcast at some point over the next few weeks. And one of the things I, I'd love to ask Damian beyond like the hey you. You've learned how to hit big shots, game-winning shots, and stuff. But they, they seem to be a very close-knit group. You know, now does it just become a normal thing to say, okay, every year, in addition to welcoming in any recruits, it's just going to be like hitting the reset button a little bit. I shouldn't say hitting the reset button. That and that would kind of just denote like a huge roster overhaul. But you've got a guys, a group of guys that are really close, and now 
not only would you be welcoming in a couple of bigs, like a big or two, now a couple of guards into the rotation. So um, just well, something to keep an eye on for next week. Yeah, uh, two things. When Temple's looking for a guard, I think we've, it's become pretty clear over the last two seasons that when Temple's looking for a guard, they're looking for a high Seer Miller type prototype, you know, a tough kid from Philly, or they want a 6'5 guard with long arms who can play both ends of the floor, who can score the ball. Uh, that was Jeremiah Williams. That was Damian Dunn. That's Caleb Battle. Like, and I think we're all somewhat working on the assumption that it's a very, it's very plausible that Caleb and Damian are gone after next season. Um, mm-hmm. Probably more likely Caleb, but we don't obviously know any, you know, anything specific about their plans. I think that's, but it's a very realistic possibility those two are gone. So they're looking to bolster that backcourt so you can have a year under those guys and then these guys step up. It's just obviously the nature of college basketball. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here, but. Uh, you know, Max Edwards is a six-five guard who, you know, a young kid who come in and, and be that next whatever. Um, same thing with uh, with Kobe Rogers, who's got a few years of eligibility left, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, could be that kind of guy we talked about being a spark plug off the bench. So they're looking at that at the future of that backcourt. Obviously, they have Jaleel White, Heiser Miller, Zach Hicks, all have plenty of eligibility left. Um, but I think you're preparing for the future. You're bolstering your team for this year, and you're rounding out that that front court. Here's a here's an interesting fact. If Edwards is actually 220, he'd be the second heaviest player on the team at 6'5". Hmm. Wait, wait. Uh, it was a Rashma, not anymore. Right. He's gone. It's got to be Emmanuel Okpoma, right? It is. Emmanuel Okpoma listed at 225 hmm. and much bigger than Edwards. So if Edwards is really 220 at 6'5", um, he's a thick boy. He well, is a yeah, muscular man. Yeah, Edwards yeah. Is, is, you know, again, if, you, if you're... Or he'll enjoy Chick-fil-A on campus. Yeah, I mean, if you're... If I enjoy Chick-fil-A on <laughs> Max Edwards, if you're listening, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, mean, if you, I mean, if you've been around for a while and you've watched Temple for a long time, I mean, Max Edwards kind of has like a Mark Karcher body type. If he's half that type of player, Temple's mm-hmm. in really, really good shape. I mean, Mark Karcher was very good. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm thinking more body type comparison. But yeah, sure. I mean, he was... And again, like he'd essentially be like a new, almost like a, a, a bringing a, a freshman. I mean, he really he's a class of twenty twenty one guy um, out of our Savior Lutheran in the Bronx. So again, I mentioned he played for that um, that Long Island Lightning program, and I mean he was. I mean he had he had an offer from Seton Hall at one point during his recruitment, Kansas State, and Seton Hall were probably his best offers. UMass offered him, Quinnipiac offered him, Robert Morris, Sacred Heart, and Towson. So um, again, a couple. Of, couple of names to, to keep an eye on uh, and I think one thing that I will say to fans is again monitoring our, our message boards and people are saying what's going on how come they haven't gotten anybody how come they haven't gotten anybody I this is a new age of recruiting where every program is monitoring the portal and I don't know that there's like a I mean if they're sitting here in like late May early June and nothing's happened for them then I think it's if you're a fan if you remember the coaching staff it's time to panic but I think late April I still think it's kind of early in this process in terms of like adding extra talent to the roster because I mean they're the coaches I mean like and we'll get a little bit more into the portal and NIL in a second with another mailbag question here but I mean this is kind of what everybody's doing now and I I think for these for these coaches it's almost like they're in some ways it might feel like dating to them like okay this person might be an appealing option but what <laughs> else is out there you know and like it's that's the analogy I've what heard know about this people. Part? Dating? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Until I met my wife, I did a lot. No, no. <laughs> Kyle loves to tell old John dating stories off the record before and after the pod. Hey, you make it sound like he does that every week. He doesn't do that. Every no, week. no. It's been. It's actually been a while. He used to do it when we were in person. 
much more. I don't know why it came up more. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. As an aside. As an aside. <laughs> so, uh, again, so, um, so you, again, you're hearing that here for the first time on The Scoop. So keep an eye on Max Edwards um, and, uh, and uh, excuse me, and Colby Rogers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, should be coming in next week as of now. Uh, confirmed that they're supposed to come in for visits next week. A couple guys out of the transfer portal. Um, last, well, another, we just got a late mailback question coming in from, from Pat Egan from 97.5 The Fanatic, which is going to be a, a, just a doozy of a question here. This is going to be going to be good. Um, but before we get to that one, we'll get to this uh, one from the message board here from the screen name TU Alice 37. So the question is, if you guys have any additional insight on the NBC deal and the types of deals that are for Temple players, it would be appreciated. Uh, so that's the, the 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 agreement that was just announced this week. Uh, it says, in addition, where does this put Temple from an NIL position versus their competitors? So it's he's referring to this NBC Sports Athlete Direct. So that's it involves Temple, Notre Dame, and who else? Is Vanderbilt. 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 Yeah. So um, it, it's in one of, as one of our other subscribers posted on our message board. It's it's. It's a step in the right direction. Uh, it does create some buzz. Um, there, there's a quote here that I'll read from, from the release. So that quote is, We're excited to launch NBC Sports Athlete Direct, which will add significant value to the NIL ecosystem by connecting student-athletes and advertisers through a trusted marketplace that will have real scale. Uh, and that's from Damon Phillips, the Senior Vice President for Strategic Initiatives at NBC Sports. And his quote continues here, We look forward to growing NBC Sports Athlete Direct by working with additional institutions moving forward. So... I mean, the, the piece that stands out to me is that that will have real scale. So that's the part that resonates with me. And that, you know, that's the part of what NIL was originally intended to do. And that's helping student athletes monetize their popularity and their social media followings. So it, it might provide pathways for players at, at Temple, Notre Dame, at Vanderbilt to get, have these, like you said, these real scale opportunities potentially in, in a, beyond something like, Hey, I got a coupon code, a local pizza place. Like now again, what also comes with this, however, is like that doesn't mean there are any guarantees. So it doesn't mean that like now every single student athlete at Temple is gonna be able to, you know, automatically just be sort of like enrolled in this thing. It's still, you know, I, I, I think they're still going to be assessing like the marketability of a student athlete. Again, we, we talked to Tilo Kunkel about this back in the summer. It it could be someone it could be someone from like the gymnastics team or the lacrosse team who has like a huge social media following or something that goes viral. I don't know why you're laughing. Because <laughs> whenever I hear Tilo's name, I immediately think about him telling us it's, it's like J Lo, Tilo, but with a T. Tilo, yes. <laughs> um, Cracks. But hey, you didn't forget it. Didn't forget it. It worked. Uh, hey, so sorry, I'm going to cut you off. No, that's okay. It's fine. Um, so yeah, it, it's certainly something marketable. It did create some buzz. Um, but again, when you, like I said, when you really sink your teeth into it, there's nothing guaranteed. So I do think it's a step in the right direction. Um, where does this put Temple from an NIL position versus their com- other competitors? And the other part of NIL is is this: like you a have a lot of players, as I see it, entering the portal, who ultimately not may not find a landing spot at all, or at least the level of the landing spot they were hoping for. And some of those players, I think, are entering the portal hoping for NIL money, hoping for NIL opportunities. Some of them are going to get it, and some of them aren't. And B, you, what you're also dealing with beyond this, there's the other like kind of unintended consequence of this was 
now you have like these collectives and a program's alumni or fan base where, where they're legally pulling money together to provide NIL opportunities for players, and that's where it's essentially become free agency. Um, if you look at what Kendrick Davis is going to potentially be able to do out of SMU, yeah. uh, it's it's a lot. I mean, and you've seen that that some players, if you just even just Google this stuff and look it up, there are guys that are literally finding it more profitable and, hey, good for them to stay in school rather than test the NBA draft waters. But it really has become free agency. We know that coaches are reaching out through back channels, and I really think it's going to come down to at some point, again, like I said, these fan bases and alumni bases coming up with collectives to say there are opportunities here. Now, can coaches say that on recruiting visits? No, they can't, as we understand it. But So I think this is a step in the right direction for Temple because we've talked about the fact that they didn't really have anything tangibly spelled out on July 1st of 2021. 2020. So, yeah. um, so again, I, I think it's a good thing. But, again, there are no guarantees there, yeah. as, as I understand it. Say, you guys uh, have any thoughts on this? Why don't you chime in? I mean, I don't have anything crazy. I think you, you spelled it out well that it's a step in the right direction. It's something for This is a very new program. This isn't anything like this isn't something that has been in the works since July 1st of last year. Like this is a new program for NBC. This is a new program in the NIL realm. This is a new program for Temple. They're in on the ground floor on this, which can be a good thing, can be a terrible thing. Only time will tell. But it's again, it, it shows that Temple's doing something. It shows that although they are nine months behind what a lot of other schools were doing, there were schools that were announcing stuff like this nine months ago. Mm-hmm. Temple's doing this at the end of April in 2022. So uh, I think that part of me says, like, you know, it is what it is because it took this long, but it is, as you mentioned, a step in the right direction. Uh, you know, I think in the long term, I think it could be really good. It sounds like a really cool opportunity. Um, yeah, that's really all I got. Right, so. Yeah, I mean, I would I would echo the same thing. I mean, them just doing anything at all, I, mm-hmm. I think, is is a good sign. I mean, you know, we we've been trying to run a... Uh, an NIL story in long form for the Temple News all year, and there just has not been enough content on this campus to run that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had to pivot. So even just them doing this at all, just having like something, because they've been lapped by every mm-hmm. marketable school in the area mm-hmm. at this point. So even having something at all is a step in the right direction. Hopefully they just they keep going with it because they, they have a lot of ground to make up, like Sam said. Yeah, and, and, and they, I mean, some student-athletes have dipped their toe in the water. I mean, I think Bella has a story coming out about, about Caleb Bat on his yes. T-shirt. So even, like, some of the other guys, like Rashma Parks, had some, right like, a, like a coupon code deal or something like that. Yeah, the Rashma issue is that the... Parks is all over the place. Yeah. Sage Tolbert, Warby Parker. Yes. That's right. All I mean, on that. The issue, though, for, for Battle is that, like, he had to do that him, himself. Like, mm-hmm. that is just all him being a self-starter. Yeah. Um, that is not the age of athletics that we are in. You need to provide as much as you possibly can as a school. I mean, I mean, good for battle. It's great what he's doing for him, and that, that's phenomenal. But, like, it's Temple just, needs to do more. It's, yeah. it's really just him being like, I want to sell shirts. Yeah. And he's going to do it, you know, which is yeah. fine. That's his onus. But, like... Other schools are like, yeah, we're going to help you sell your well, shirts. Well, that's the, and the foreboding part that, that every program is going to have to guard against in the future, Temple very much included, is every year you are going to have to recruit and re-recruit your current players. Yes. Because anybody who gets good at Temple, football or basketball, there's going to be somebody reaching out and saying, hey, if you're not from Philly, like, come back home. We can get you something here. It is. It is. It's free agency. 
um, you know, a buddy of mine, uh, I've talked to a, a couple people about this, and a buddy of mine made the analogy where it's like, it seems like the NCAA didn't know quite what to do here, and now the toothpaste is out of the tube. It's like the scene in Ghostbusters where the mayor's like, you gotta, you gotta let the, the, the ghosts out of the trap here, and like, nobody knows what to do. Mm-hmm. So, maybe, just maybe, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd figured this whole thing out in the end. <laughs> I think, who should we call? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I couldn't even bring myself to say the Ghostbusters because I was laughing. So, but I love it. I appreciate you just chiming in on that and going along for the ride. So, last mailbag question here. We haven't gotten one in a little bit from Pat Egan from 97.5 The Fanatic, a member of the John Kincaid Morning Show. Uh, Pat's a loyal scoop listener. Uh, Big time Temple fan, didn't go to Temple, but he's a huge Temple fan. I, I during the football season, I do like a weekly hit. Friend uh, of the pod, with uh, yes, the friend of the pod. But we talk Temple football every week during the season. So, um, Pat chimed in via text and said, "Firstly, Roy Holiday, number thirty-four. Didn't even mention Roy Holiday. I don't know how we didn't do that's really bad. Uh, mentioned that's the late really Roy bad. Holiday. Uh, again, I will plug a good friend of mine, Todd Zalecki, wrote a great, great book about Roy Holiday. If you haven't read it, it is a good book. I've very good book. It's very good." You read it? Yes. Good for you. I did. Yeah. Thank you. It's the first book I've read in a while. Very good book. Yeah. Sure. Probably shouldn't be saying that at a school, but, you know, that's okay. That's right. you got to make time for it. That's true. All right. So, Pat has a, a two-parter here. Underrated high point and low point for you covering Temple Athletics. Everybody will be talking about beating Penn State and College Game Day in 2015, but take that off the list. We won't be talking about we that. We won't be talking about that. Cover, yeah. You were the only person in this room that covered Penn State. Uh, Temple yeah. in 2015. What would be? Your, do you have in the time that you guys have been here a high point and low point? I'm not. I'm not absolving you guys of this question. Doesn't have a high point and low point for covering and covering Temple athletics since you guys have, have been here. I got a lot of low points. <laughs> um, I think it's a it's a tie for me. There's like a personal low point, and then there's like a coverage low point. My personal one was when I showed up. This was pre-pandemic. It was that night game against Central Florida. Where they like uh, they got outscored like twenty eight to nothing in the second half. Mm-hmm. They lost like sixty one to twenty something. Yeah. I showed up to the, to cover that game like deathly ill, mm-hmm. and I remember sitting there watching them get blown out in mm-hmm. the second half, and I was just like questioning my life choices at that point. It's like I could have watched this at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second one was the last game of this year when they were playing Navy, and I remember sitting there watching Navy fumble a snap, Temple recover fumble the snap and then navy recover and then they run like the shoddiest play action pass i've ever seen in my life for a touchdown i just like i am watching like high school football Mm -hmm. in this nfl stadium and i'm just sitting there like trying to write that instant analysis piece was like pulling teeth for myself because i was just like i don't know how to say it like i like i almost like i really just wanted the entire instant analysis to me just be like the season's over yay you know but that that was it for me Low point for me, uh, first one that comes to mind is 20... Oh, this is actually a great story. Uh, January of 2020, uh, Temple at Penn, only game I've ever covered, only Temple game I've ever covered at the Palestra. Crazy for two reasons. The first reason is the Temple didn't score for the first nine minutes, and Quentin Rose took the lid off the rim, like, again, like nine minutes into the game. just a terrible game. Just a, just objectively horrible, horrible basketball. <laughs> um, the other reason that game was crazy is because I have vivid memories in our group chat. Josh Pierre-Louis was sick that game, did not make the trip. And Kyle made a joke, maybe he has the coronavirus. 
And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to sound stupid in the chat. But in my head, I'm like, is Kyle making a joke about Josh Pirillo we drinking too many beers? Like, I didn't get the reference. Oh, my God. This was January of 2020. Wow. Didn't know what the coronavirus was. A couple weeks later, months later, things started wow. to unravel. And that for me, that was the start of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, that was the first time I'd ever heard anything about the pandemic. So, uh, low point basketball-wise, funny story because of the Kyle joke. Um, do you have a high point? Anything? No, I do. I'm, oh, okay. I'm going to get some Sorry. high points. Sorry. Uh, Perhaps I should just let you finish. <laughs> <laughs> this is a funny high point. Um, I mean, there have been a lot of cool moments of, of covering Temple basketball, Temple football. I've had a ton of cool experiences. Um, like, Alice for Justice was a really awesome experience. I mean, that was, like, the first thing I really covered beyond just doing games and things like that. Uh, so that was a high point. But the, the first high point, I think, um, that, like, made me kind of realize, like, this is fun is my freshman year covering Temple basketball, I did a super, like, surface-level enterprise story on uh, Quentin Rose's, um, like, how superstitious he was about his headband, Mm -hmm. because I covered at Temple St. Joe's, uh, sat next to former Owl scoop writer Matt Vender, Mm -hmm. and at halftime, Quentin Rose, like, ripped off his headband, didn't come back in the second half, and played better with it, so I talked to him... The next game, they played UConn, which was like a Tuesday or when. I think it was a Tuesday night. Talked to Quinn Rose after the game about like his headband, his superstition, his season. Kind of surface-level stuff. But for me, it was like the first non-game story I did. So it was cool in the moment. Um, talking to Quinn Rose outside the locker room. A couple of his teammates walked by, uh, and they were like making jokes, whatever, like teasing Q Rose while I was talking to him. Game's on Tuesday. Uh, I probably filed the story like Thursday. Goes up Friday. That Sunday, they play Cincinnati at the Leah Cora Center. Mm-hmm. That Sunday, they lost. But of the 13, 14 guys on the roster, 10 of them were wearing headbands. <laughs> uh, so to this day, I believe that that was because of the very average story that I wrote uh, in the middle of the season uh, in twenty the 2018-2019 season. But I showed up, and like the social media team was plugging. like They were all wearing headbands. It was like a whole thing, and everyone was wearing headbands that game. Hmm. So I thought maybe I had something to do with that there because I talked to Quinn Rosebud. Kane? Yeah, that's great. I guess I'll start out with, you know, a high point of mine. Mine did not have been a high point for Dante. I think Dante was sick for the Temple News against Tulane, and he called out, oh, and then I had to go... That was co- so bad. Yeah, <laughs> that was worse than the UCF game. That was that was really bad. Yeah. So I got the call from, or the text from Dante. I went to cover the Temple football game with Jay, you know, former Temple News editor, or mm-hmm. Temple Sports Editor. Went to the game, first time ever sitting in the Lincoln Financial Field, you know, press box. So I think that's, you know, something that will always stand out. It was there with Jay. It was the day Quincy Roche set an American athletic record. I think he had six tackles for loss, three sacks, yep. 12 total tackles. That game really dominated, kind of mm-hmm. like cemented. No. I did not cover that game because I went to the dog show out in Oaks with my wife. I do remember that. And I, like, she was like one of the – it was always – she would say, I want you to come with me one year. And it's always – like there, I said, there's it's always like the third week of November. There's always a Temple home game. Mm-hmm. I ended up watching half the game or like three-quarters of the game on TV, I was like, I could have just covered the game, but we got out there to see some of it. So, yeah. sorry. A little, little interjection there. Sorry, Kagan. Go ahead. Yeah, but, you know, Roche kind of, that was before he left for Miami, and mm-hmm. everything kind of crumbled, you know, for Temple football. At that point, they were 7-3, and three, mm-hmm. and it seemed like everything was going right. So, just being, you know, in the press Your box. use of the word crumble just brought, the, brought a little giggle out of the here. <laughs> no, it, was just, it was just funny, because it's like, that. that is that is the linchpin. And then yeah. everything <laughs> crumbled. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> But that was a you know a good overall experience, and then probably low point. I mean, it's hard to say because there's been so many over the last two <laughs> years. Just watching, you know, Temple football. Probably that 
uh, Central Florida game, you know, this year, and it was like forty-nine to seven, and uh, um, was, I forget the quarterback. Is Mikey O'Keen is his name? It's yeah. something like that. O'Keen and his last name. Ken O'Keen. Ken O'Keen. Something. Something, some, something yeah. like that. I don't have it in front of me, but yeah. through like seven. I think we just <laughs> combined two quarterbacks. I think it's I think it's like Ryan Keene and then it's like something o- O'Keefe or something. Whatever. Ryan O'Keefe. Ryan O'Keefe. There it is. Oh wait, yeah. no, Ryan O'Keefe's a wide receiver. Well, he was throwing passes That's to Ryan O'Keefe. They, they, look, there was a lot of touchdowns. Yes. That day. That Bottom line points were scored. Yes. Double loss. <laughs> yes. So that was your, that was your your low point. Can I have I, a quick tangent off of one of Sam's stories. Sure, you, go guys, you guys get the, it. We're, we're here in person. We're, yeah. we're, we're enjoying fellowship, memories, good, bad, and different. So the Penn game, uh, that was back when I still covered the basketball team for mm-hmm. Temple News. And I wrote a column after the game that was basically just like, you know, what the hell, guys. And I like... Columnist Dante Collins. Right. I believe that was the actual headline. Yeah, that was the actual headline. Yeah, <laughs> our, our old editor-in-chief totally let me do that. And um, <laughs> it was... But and this was back before, like um, the Temple News never really used to be like a, a column paper. Like it was like very, it was like pulling teeth to do columns. Now it's a lot more open. So my column was like very watered down. Like if you read my instant analysis stuff on Al Scoop, like I'm you know very outspoken about my opinion. But this was not one of those columns. This was like mm-hmm. a very like stat heavy column. And I and I really just wrote Quentin Rose's stat line in the column and he was like what seven of 25 from the field Mm -hmm. or something outrageous yeah and i remember he he like um he commented on the instagram post on instagram and he was like not happy with me and i just never spoke to quinn rose again yeah like he just would not talk to me for the for the rest of the year and i i that's not why i quit covering the basketball team but yeah that's why i remember that game i pissed quinn rose off Yes. I have one more that was both a high and a low. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Temple ECU, I guess that was last year, not this past season, but last season, the, the COVID game. The, oh. um, what's his name? I'm totally blanking on his name. Fistering quarterback, walk on. Kamal Gray. Kamal, Kamal Gray. Gray game. Thank you. The Kamal yes. Gray game. Um, it was a high point because in the moment and kind of like in the days after reflecting on it, like it felt like our. March 14th, 2020. Like, it felt like our little temple version of the world going crazy, like the world going awry in that single day. So from a journalistic perspective, it was really cool to cover all that. I remember, John, we were texting back and forth about, like, writing a little, a couple graphs on Newser of, like, if this game gets postponed, canceled, like, what's Mm going to happen? We were, you know, in our chat, we were talking about what could possibly be going on. Um, So for all that to unravel quickly, I think journalistically it was a high point. Um... Football-wise, uh, program-wise, I think it was uh, it was it was quite the low point because yeah. they were playing a fifth-string starting quarterback, and then Brandon Mack took some took some reps at quarterback. So that was that was probably the moment that stood out the most. My favorite part of that day was was Rich coming up to me and he just like put his hands on my shoulders and he goes, Dante, I just want to tell you, Matt Duncan got suspended last night. He's not going to play. Claps his hands, walks away, tells the next person. Next person, they're like, "All right, it's like you know, it's like an hour before the game starts." And yeah. I just remember, and I was just like, ah, "All right, Rich, like, uh, you know." So that was that was a crazy day. Yeah. Um. So if, if we're taking the the Penn State game and Notre Dame week off the table from 2015, a couple high points, a couple low points for football, basketball. I think football. Couple of the high points might be like that 2016 season where where they won a conference championship and um, being on the field when they were celebrating that at, at down in Annapolis. I mean they they beat Navy pretty soundly. They executed well, played well. Um, just seeing the Temple fans that made it down there, that the, the celebration, the trophy presentation, that game was on ABC that day. Um, I took video of the guys coming into the tunnel. I mean it was really um, 
in terms of the opponent, I get it. It wasn't as big as Penn State, but they did. You know, in 2015, they start off 7-0. They almost beat Notre Dame. And then the way that season ended, they lost to Houston uh, and Greg Ward down there, a very good Houston team down there. Um, and then had played a clunker of a game against Toledo in the in the Boca Raton Bowl, I guess, right? Um, so they finished that season 10-4. and four. So the front end of it was, was super memorable. The back end of it, I mean, they still go to a conference championship game, but wasn't as memorable. 2016, they win a conference championship. That was a pretty cool moment just to see all the, like, the confetti coming down and stuff like that. Um, seeing them beat UConn to just in, in the regular season finale. I guess it was the regular season finale to win the division. Um, that was a pretty cool moment. Um, for basketball, um, high point, you know, there, there are a couple were there. At, were you at Madison Square Garden for the Khalif Wyatt game? Yes, I was. I mean, that that's up there. I mean, the way he played, the way he played against um, against Syracuse, and mm-hmm. you know, I remember fans saying, "Well, if Michael Carter Williams can get drafted, then Khalif Wyatt can get drafted." But that's not how the draft works. Correct. And, um, Kyle will always say that he hates Jim Beheim because Jim Beheim was just so curmudgeonly and, and condescending that day. And I think Kyle asked a question about Anthony Lee, but that was just that was a great day. It was three days before Christmas. Went up and we. Uh, had some good Italian food after the game somewhere in New York City, and uh, that was a memorable game. But um, I think maybe seeing Fran Dunphy win his first NCAA tournament game, covering that game when they, you know, Juan Fernandez hits that last second shot against Penn State, that was uh, a pretty cool game to cover. I, I, I think another game that, that stands out to me, and I'll go, I'll go back in, in Cheney's career. I, I just remember kind of like the emotion of the day. So I mean, this this goes way back to. Um, the 2001 season, and Lynn Greer helps them beat GW to get to the A-10 tournament finals. I mean, they were down 11 in that game, and he basically just leaned in to a defender, drew a foul call, hits three foul three foul shots to win the game. If they don't beat GW in that game, they're not going to the tournament. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have the resume. And um, and then they beat UMass in the, in the conference championship game, the A-10 championship game. That's when the they were still playing the, the tournament at the Spectrum, at the first Union Spectrum. That was a fun... I, I used to love covering the A-10 tournament there. It was a really fun atmosphere. They would get pretty decent crowds. A boardwalk hall later, it was great. But um, I just remember, I just felt like a lot of people around the program were really emotional. like crying. And this was, a, this was a tournament semifinal game because I think people knew what was on the line. And the year before, of course, they had lost. I mean, this got brought up a lot this year with, with Ty Shine playing with Sheen Holloway, who's now, you know, coaching in St. Peter's and now back at, at, uh, at Seton Hall. There was the disappointment of the year before where they were loaded, and that was the team that should have gone to the Final Four. And then in 2001, Shaney really didn't have a ton of depth. I mean, he had good starting five, but they were kind of piecing things together with guys like Greg Jefferson, Alex Wesby was young, and Lynn just saved him in that game. But people were, like, really emotional, really almost, like, crying, like, wow, like, Lynn Greer saved the fan base from this disappointment and then the the the, the championship game against UMass and a, a Bruiser Flint coach UMass team was a lot less suspenseful but I just remember a lot about that day and about that weekend people were just like wow kind of just like it was like a shot in the arm for the fan base and that obviously turned out to be Cheney's last NCAA tournament run it was a memorable one they went to the Elite Eight but like that game stands out to me again I mean Cheney's had better wins I got to cover the the uh, the the opener and the Lee Core Center before it was called Lee Core Center when they played uh, the when Apollo. they played Fresno State 
and and Jerry Tarkanian. I mean, Jerry Tarkanian really kind of built his career coaching at UNLV, but that was such a memorable game. They tried to get Bobby Knight in Indiana in there. Bobby Knight told Cheney, I'm going to play you. I can't play you in December, but they played him in November that year. So low points, I mean, covered a lot of bad football and during the Ron Dickerson era and Bobby Wallace eras. Uh, saw a lot of good players, but I don't know. This year, a lot of bad football. <laughs> you guys covered a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, in basketball... I would say it's it was it was tough to be there the night of the Goongate game uh, in in 2005 against St. Joe's. I know it's a, I know it's a sore spot for Temple's fan base, but in February 2005, again, I mean most of you who are listening know this, but John Cheney sends in Nehemiah Ingram, who was otherwise a really great kid, mm-hmm. and he said after the game, "Yeah, I sent him in to to commit hard fouls," and he said that they, they, they you know said send in the goons and. Um, but things were chippy during that game. And I remember I was standing next to Mike Kern in the media room, in the Al Schreier media room, before Janie came in. And Mike turns to me in his Northeast Philly accent. He's like, Johnny, it's not going to be good. Not going to be good, babe. That's it. He calls, I, I don't know if I was talking to you about yeah, this, about calls everybody babe. And he's like, not going to be good, babe. And it wasn't. And Janie just came in. And. Yeah, again, there's so much that's been written about this. People have talked about this. I mean, Cheney was just really openly honest about what some other coaches have done. Yeah. You know? And ironically enough, at some point, John Calipari came to his defense, you know, after a while. But it, it was just, it was a tough night. It was everything that came with it because you saw a guy who had otherwise had a, a great, great career just getting crapped on for, you know, weeks on end. But to be there for it was a little surreal because... It was at the tail end of Cheney's career because after that 2001 season, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, you know, the last four or five seasons of his career weren't as good. Obviously, it doesn't take away from the, from the man's legacy, but that was maybe a low point. And again, football, pick anything from from this season, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of bad football to draw from, not any specific moment, but... Yeah, that's what I got there. The one thing I want to add is a high point uh, off of you know we're talking about John Cheney was when John Cheney uh, passed away in January of 2021. Um, I know Dante wrote a great profile on on John Cheney for the Temple News when he passed, but John, the work that we did uh, on those like mini stories of talking with former players, coaches, people around that spent time around him, people that spent time around the program, just kind of like they're talking about their connection and them sharing stories. Um, about John Cheney, uh, I thought was a lot of fun and some of the more rewarding reporting and stories I think we put together. So that was that was really cool. That little mini series we did mm-hmm. when John Cheney passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other part of Pat's question here, uh, very Pat esque. So this is the the second part of his. I don't I don't know, Katie, if you've ever heard one of Pat's two parter questions here. And so it's something more substantial and serious and then more uh, goofy. It's 4.12 a.m. and your phone rings. In a moment of weakness, you didn't put it on Do Not Disturb. You find out everyone on your show has been arrested. It's all desperate crimes, just a crazy coincidence that the scoop all celebrated the purge. What was everyone arrested for? Oh, my God. That's a tough one. Sam, we'll lead off with you. Oh, my God. Um, So in your role, you're picking up the phone, and you find out that, that Dante, Kate, and Kyle, and I... Javon, well, poor Javon. He hasn't been here the past few episodes. Well, I don't know if we should throw Javon in. We'll keep Javon out of this. All right. Uh, I'm gonna see He's been I, good. Let's see what I can do off the top of my head. 
John gets arrested for stealing an inordinate amount of Italian food. From, <laughs> <laughs> like going into an Italian restaurant, guns a blazing, stealing as much food as you can, have dining guns. and dashing. Where am I? Where did I get my guns? That's all off the record. <laughs> um, so John steals an inordinate amount of Italian food. Uh, Dante writes an insane hit piece uh, <laughs> that someone really did not take lightly uh, and it somehow gets Dante arrested. Mm-hmm. I haven't fleshed out the idea of what Dante wrote about, but mm-hmm. it's it's a thriller of a hit piece. Mm-hmm. Um, Caden gets arrested for talking to recruits in a moment where you're, it's against an NCAA violation <laughs> to talk to recruits. Um, and it's not Caden's fault, though. That's the interesting part is Caden's just watching practice and a swarm of recruits come up to him and then there just happens to be an NCAA official at this practice, and Caden gets booked, fired, jail. No, they don't. They don't want to hear. They don't want to hear his excuses about who came up to who. Caden was talking to recruits. He wasn't supposed to be. Caden, you're gone. Um, I see Caden being very cooperative. Like it's okay. I got everybody's number. No, they don't care. They don't care. They're all coming up. Mr. Steel. Mr. Steel. Nope. The NCAA yep. official sees Caden talking to recruits. It's an NCAA violation. Jail. Caden, Caden gets his one phone call from 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 jail, and he calls a recruit. Got <laughs> <laughs> his family. You want to call your parents? Uh, no, there's this guy. Temple just offered a four star. Yeah, there's a four star from Bolt from the Baltimore area. I gotta talk to him. I'll use the payphone for the. For the interview, and I'll record on my iPhone. <laughs> what would Kyle or Javon get arrested for? I say Kyle's going. Kyle's going to jail for going after somebody. It's either Jim Beheim or John Rothstein. Yeah. I think I got one for Javon. Javon would break into an NBA front office, find all the analytical sheets with stats and rip them, rip them, rip them apart. Javon tweeted this earlier this morning. He said, uh, uh, a house a block away is playing Elder Barge, and I can't even be mad at it. And I said, what oh, what song were they playing? He said, that. Rhythm of the Night. It just, it just warmed my heart. I could see Javon maybe, like, just getting getting arrested for some sort of noise, or, noise ordinance for playing, like, The Temptations, like, late at night. <laughs> Otherwise, he's just a tremendous kid, as uh, you all are. Um, wait, what you, does Kyle get arrested for? I don't know what I, you, I, I don't know what I get arrested for. Kyle could... Kyle could get arrested for a number of reasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could see Kyle get arrested for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Making Kyle sound like a total degenerate right now. <laughs> Otherwise, a good human being. I could see in, like, 20 years, Kyle's no longer doing much coverage. Kyle's got two kids he's trying to get through college. Kyle's <laughs> runs into Jim Beheim in the supermarket. Jim Beheim just... Jim Beheim's probably dead at that point. <laughs> He's what, sixty? Yeah, I don't know. How old he is no, Jim he's Beheim, a older than that. Is he? Jim Beheim has a, a cane and a top hat. He's thinking, seventy-seven. Yeah, he's seventy-seven. Oh, okay. I was gonna yeah. say. I thought it was like so. 60s. If Jordan Jordan is two, sixteen years from now, they're gonna be putting Jordan through college, and he's they've got a daughter on the way. Yeah, Jim Beheim would be eighty. Okay, 93 runs, at that point. He runs into an old curmudgeon, Jim Beheim. <laughs> Kyle sees it as a moment of weakness. Jim Beheim shoots a look at Kyle, uh, muffles something under his breath, and Kyle just beats the crap out of him. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, wait, what was the thing about Kyle? Was it a dream about him fighting like a like a bear? No, a, a camel. A camel. It's a camel. A camel. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle tries to fight a camel. Mm. And, and uh, he gets and like a public misdemeanor. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, what am I? What am I getting arrested for? 
Dante, any any thoughts on this? I don't know. They uh, if someone like somehow bans Back to the Future, you get arrested for <laughs> for pirating it. Pirate. <laughs> you have the last copy of Back to the Future, You're just like running through the streets, like take it. I can see it happening. Yeah, it's like some weird dystopia. Or I just invent time travel, and they're like, no, this is. <laughs> Caden gets arrested for breaking into the Apple store because he's, he's busted his computer for the fourth time this year. <laughs> and he's like, I need to write! It's not ready yet! <laughs> so he's getting apprehended somewhere around like 16th and Walnut, wherever the Apple store is. <laughs> in Center City. Dante absolutely gets arrested, breaking in somewhere, trying to steal all 22 Needs films. the all 22. Needs right? all 22. I have already done illegal things to get all 22. Don't talk about it. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> At the FBI, I'm kidding. Probably. There would be a huge police raid in Matt Lauren, New Jersey. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's sitting there, Greg Cosell's out the door. It's <laughs> great. It's great. <laughs> Sam, what would, what, would Sam, what would Sam get arrested for? I don't know. I can't think of anything I would get arrested for. Well, I never told you guys about the time I did get arrested, did I? What? I'm totally kidding. I was about to say, that was street. <laughs> Sam totally gets arrested kidding. for breaking into a like a a a, a gluten free food outlet. <laughs> and is he that just, what you think? He just can't about? wait to get in. It's is like four in the morning. He's like, I'm so hungry. Is I think I get arrested for John. <laughs> Do you have anything better? No. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't prepared. I didn't have two days to prepare for for Pat's question here. Oh, um, no, no, good one, Pat. But. To our listeners, if you have any suggestions for what any of us would get arrested for, throw them on the message board. There we go. Yes. Tweet at us. We'd like to hear. We'd love to hear. Keep them clean. <laughs> keep them funny, but keep them clean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. please. Anyway, well, it was good seeing you guys in person. It was great. Had a lot of fun with this. And uh, thanks for sticking with us, everyone, for another episode. And we will talk to you guys soon.